From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. With the madness of signing day in the rearview mirror, men's basketball took center stage last week and they did not disappoint. Mike White's team lit up Kentucky on Saturday night inside Exact Tech Arena, then followed it with a gritty road win at Georgia on Tuesday, both of which we'll discuss in a roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. But basketball is about to get some company on the Gator sports calendar with softball getting their season underway this weekend. And later, we'll chat about the upcoming campaign with head coach Tim Walton. But first, let's dive right into basketball and the latest football coaching hires with Chris and Scott. We started our conversation by asking a question on the minds of many at the moment. Are the Gators the hottest team in the nation? Well, I don't know if they're the hottest team in the country, but they're playing just about as well as any team in the country. I mean, now you got five straight wins. Um, obviously, the first four were by an average of 32 points. Roll in a 22-point win over Kentucky, which was obviously the signature win of Mike White's uh, two seasons here. And one of the great days, any of you guys were there, one of the great days in that dome with the atmosphere and what have you. But I think um, what Mike wanted to see, Adam, he's been talking about the maturity level of this team and how much it's progressed in just the last few weeks. And you know, the latest example was to beat a team like Kentucky and take that defensive mentality and that, you know, demeanor and go to Georgia. Now, Georgia's record, they were 13-10 and 10 and 4-6 and six coming in, but, you know, they, they got two really, really good players on that team. And that was somewhat of a dangerous game because Georgia had lost four straight SEC games. A couple of them were games that they had and didn't make plays at the end or – the clock malfunctioned at the end. If anyone mm-hmm. saw that crazy Texas A&M ending, but uh, they've had really bad luck this they, year. They, 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 they have they have had some maybe some of that Atlanta luck has uh, bled yeah. up into Athens, Georgia. <laughs> it's red and black. <laughs> it's red and black related. Maybe, the colors are unavoidable. Maybe it is. But Florida faced some adversity in the Georgia game Tuesday night to go up by 16, and all of a sudden miss your next. Uh, I believe it was 11 shots. Georgia scores 15 in a row. Uh, the game's tied late in the first half, and they didn't panic. They kind of realized what was going on. Look, you know, we're not making shots. We have to play a little bit better on defense, get our defense to turn into offense with transition opportunities, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, Chris Chioza is playing at a different level right now than he was a couple weeks ago. Casey Hill is playing the best basketball of his career, and I said that I think last week and maybe the week before that. Mm-hmm. Um, what he did against Kentucky, and I, I know a lot of people say, well, he was a McDonald's All-American. How come we're not saying Well, we saw it? I mean, in a game with six McDonald's All-Americans, five of them were on Kentucky's team, Casey Hill was the best player out there that night. So... They're playing at a really high level. They got Texas A&M coming in Saturday. They'll go on the road, I believe, for two games after that, including an Auburn team, which is going to be another tough game, regardless of what anybody thinks. But uh, right now, if they keep playing the defense they're playing, the sky's the limit on a team. I put some numbers together uh, before this five-game uh, uh, win streak. Florida was defending for the season at forty-two point eight percent, thirty-three point four from the three-point line. In these five games, which includes this win over Kentucky, which was the highest-scoring team in the SEC, third-highest in the country, those numbers are now 33.3% overall and 25.5. And they got, they're at a plus-8 in turnover margin, and they're turning turnovers into points. This is the identity Mike White has wanted for the team, and he's pretty happy with them, but they're not at all satisfied, which is an even better thing to see. 
Well, you know, going back to last night's game, Adam, uh, one thing that I noticed that Chris talked about how the Gators didn't panic. I actually noticed that a lot of the fans on Twitter weren't panicking. <laughs> Although they blew that lead. I think the Gators are playing so well right now that people, it seemed like they're they giving them the benefit of the doubt, maybe? Giving right. them a little bit of a doubt, which is uh, unusual, especially in the moment <laughs> on Twitter. But, you know, I was sitting there watching it, and I kind of had the same feeling like, you know what? They're, they're hitting a dry spell here, but. There's no reason to think they can't at least uh, come back and play closer to what they were in the first 10 minutes of that game. And it all goes back to me. Chris talked about it. But I've, ever since the end of last year when Casey Hill was playing really well at the end, mm-hmm. I thought, man, if they get something close to that Casey Hill this year, this team slowly becomes a lot better. There was a play last night. I think in the second half, Georgia had cut it to maybe 10 or 8. There was real no ebb or flow either way. It was just back mm-hmm. and forth. Hill comes up with the ball, and even the announcer says – Mike White's going to call a timeout. Instead, he dribbles right over in front of Mike White. He got a little pick, and he just dropped in a 15-footer there. And, you know, he's not always done that in his career, but he looked mm-hmm. calm, and it really kind of finished off the game from I'll there. I'll go back to the Kentucky game. After the game, uh, John Calipari said he goes, uh, he's looking at the box score, and he says, Casey Hill is not known as a jump shooter. He goes, but he hits five straight shots against us. He goes, that's what happens against us. He goes, guys get beer muscles. Woe well, is me, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but Casey didn't like that because Casey's spent a lot of time in the gym working on his jump shot to try to get better. And, Grant, I'm looking at his statue right here from Georgia game. He's 5 for 15. That's not very good. He had 12 points, 5 assists, 3 turners. His defense, though, is elite. Absolutely elite right now. Ask J.J. Frazier, who's a pretty darn good player, probably going to end up with 1,500, points in his career at Georgia. But there was a play last night, and I thought that was a play you were about to reference, Scott, where it was about a six- to eight-point game, and J.J. Frazier is, is setting up to kind of go to work. Casey Hill just picks his pocket and mm-hmm. takes it right length of the court for a layup right at a time that really was demoralizing for Georgia and sent a, uh, you know, a jolt up the Florida sideline. So he's the catalyst of the team. He's the leader of the team. Everyone on the team says that. On uh, a light last night where Devin Robinson, who was playing great, you know, he had a, he has six points, two rebounds. Kayvon Allen has seven points, you know, only takes five shots. You know, they got they got other guys doing things. Canyon Berry, I think right now, I was looking, I was scanning the SEC stats. I think he's the sixth man of the year. Close to 14 points a game in conference play. Um, he's going to do stuff when he comes off the, off the bench. He had one three last night at a very opportune time. He got five rebounds. He's now made 35 free throws in a row. Um, it's going to be somebody every night, and you really don't know who it is. Justin Leon, 10.7 rebounds. And there's no no one's looking at each other saying, why is he shooting that much or anything like that? They're just playing basketball. And because they're playing it so well on both ends and because they're winning, everyone's cool with it. Now, that can change. But uh, I tell you what, they're in first place in the SEC because of that crazy, insane, ridiculous game in <laughs> South Carolina last night where Sindorius Thornwell scored 46 points. He had, had, 35 had 24 rebounds. Hit, took 35 free throws, which I don't think Pete Maravich ever even did. Is it Pete Maravich record? Was it? Right, right, right. And lost in four overtimes. So uh, uh, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, all dead even at 19-5 and 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 9-2 in the SEC, all of them with eight games to play. I was looking at the schedules. It would seem like Florida has the toughest road to hoe in terms of uh, strength of schedule. South Carolina doesn't have to play Kentucky. They do have to come to Florida. Florida has to go to Kentucky and play South Carolina at home. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, that's that may be something that this team will look forward to. But right now, you know, uh, Texas A&M coming in, and I said, like, Auburn – um, you want to face Florida right now? If you're a, if you're a team heading into postseason, I know there's a lot of, a lot of basketball left to go, but I think there's some people now 
they're thinking, you know, obviously the NCAA is not just a very real possibility, but a likelihood, maybe even an advantageous situation to uh, go down to Orlando for the first weekend. In terms of a different guy doing it every night and seeing so many people step up in big moments, you mentioned Chioza a few moments ago. Not only that he had the third triple-double in Florida basketball history, but the fact that he's the first player in college basketball to have a triple-double off the bench in nine, nine years. years. I, I mean, to me, that really illustrates the level he's playing at and that mantra of a different guy every night. What is it about Chios right now? What has he unlocked here that, that's changed his game? Well, again, another behind-the-scenes kind of thing because uh, Mike White talked about it in the in the post-game press conference last night. Chioza was, was not playing well uh, for the first, I'd say, five, six games of the – of the conference season, Florida was winning all the games. Casey Hill was taking over a lot of Chris Chios's minutes. I, I want to say his minutes were around 15 a game. He went into Coach White, and he he was upset, and he goes, he goes, things are changing. I'm going to be a different guy now. You watch. And he has. He's responded. He's playing great defense. He's shooting the ball much better than he was. And he he gets rebounds, Adam. I mean, you know, nine rebounds against Kentucky. Um, well, he, he had 12 in the Missouri game. He was um, fighting Igbunu for rebounds in the Georgia game. You know, it didn't work out well, but he was trying. You know, and people were wondering, you know, what once Casey Hill leaves, you know, they don't have a point guard signed for next year. Well, Chris Chioza is going to be a fourth year. He's going to be a senior next year, and maybe people looking ahead a little bit are thinking, you know, maybe we'll be in pretty good hands with a with a point guard next season. But uh, he's playing very very confidently. He doesn't care if he scores or not. Between he and Casey Hill, their defense when it comes to tip balls and and just being pests. They call it stunning when they reach back behind and just just get in the way. Mm-hmm. And and guys don't like these little hands, quick hands flying all around them. Next thing you know, the ball's flying. I mean, they did against Kentucky a bunch of times. But terrific uh, stretch for that kid, SEC Player of the Week last week, and uh, you know carries it over into Georgia. You know, 28 minutes last night, four rebounds, a couple assists, just terrific performance for him. Let's turn our attention to football, Scott. And there were a lot of openings on Jim McElwain's staff as of a few weeks ago. And we had to wait for National Signing Day. And once that madness cleared up, we thought some of these holes would be filled. And now they have. So can you talk about the new additions to McElwain's staff? Yeah, a real busy week, obviously, around the football program. Day after what National Signing Day, it was announced that uh, Torian Gray is leaving the defensive back coach, going up to the Redskins, uh, going to the NFL. But he didn't take Jim McElwain long. He hired uh, Jawan Sider from... Uh, West Virginia running backs coach got a great reputation as a recruiter in South Florida you know I was looking some stuff up on him the other day because I didn't have a lot of knowledge of him and he was actually the quarterback down at Bell Glade Central at least for Fred Taylor's first couple years so he handed the ball off to Fred a lot obviously well if he was handing off to Fred he was throwing it to Riedel too Riedel was there. Yes. Good lineage. Mm-hmm. And jo- was Johnny Rutledge, I think. Johnny Rutledge was linebacker. Because he tweeted yeah. at mm-hmm. me. I think he says, mm-hmm. don't forget yeah, these yeah, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about a very talented team. So, this guy played for those uh, that Glade Central team way back in the uh, really early and mid-90s. And uh, went up to West Virginia. Had to sit on the bench behind Mark uh, Bulger. Remember him? The yeah, Rams sure. former quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, he transfers to Florida A&M his senior year. Ends up winning uh, the Jake Gaither Award, which is you know kind of like the Heisman for the historically black colleges and universities. And then after that, he gets a brief look at NFL. Was a six-round pick of the Chargers. Goes into coaching, goes back to West Virginia, comes back down to Florida, does some high school coaching, really established himself back up at Marshall and West Virginia. Now he's coming back to Florida. So you look at it, he's been West Virginia, Florida a lot during mm-hmm. his coaching career. But ultimately, uh, I think, you know, in terms of losing some recruiting uh, talent, maybe on the coaching staff, 
that's a high area that they were looking to build on there and and he fits that profile connects with players really well and uh you know it's a it's a big move quick and then of course next day you have two more guys they bring in with uh brad davis uh, who last served as offensive line coach at north texas and Corey bell He's got real deep ties to Randy Shannon. He was uh, Randy's uh, director of football operations down in Miami uh, when Randy was head coach there. Mm-hmm. Had just most recently taken a job at USF for uh, Charlie Strong. He was there about three weeks, Florida calls. Now he's up here. I mean, that's just the coaching it's series. It's about as long as Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of – At least kinda, he's a play, though. It's true. Yes, it's true. Plays. But so Corey Bell's here, another guy with deep connections to South Florida. And you look at the big picture at him here. I mean, they obviously are being hired to coach players and coach positions. We don't really know exactly what the – McElwain hasn't released what their positions, uh, mm-hmm. responsibilities are as coaches. All of them have kind of had some experience at different positions. So that should be coming in the next couple of days. But uh, it's just really the emphasis has been on really locking up Florida. And as we talked last week after signing day, you know, Florida locked up, I think, 11 of the top 50 prospects in the state in this last recruiting class. That was after only getting four of those 2016. And you add these kind of connections to the state, especially that talent-rich South Florida, it's, it's clear what Jim McElwain's trying to do. He's trying to really lock down this state completely and especially down in South Florida. And, you know, those guys are going to recruit elsewhere, but it's always been said, you know, if you can recruit Florida, get a lot of talent out of South Florida, you're generally going to have some pretty good teams. So overall, it does seem like the real direction with the staff is more and more of emphasis on recruiting because there's just so much competition now. If you look at what's happened across the landscape in the state of Florida, Mark Richt, Charlie Strong, Lane Kiffin. I mean, there's some big names. There's so much competition now. That's why there's such an emphasis on recruiting. Yeah, you look at even the, the smaller schools in the state. Florida International now has Butch Davis, you know, former head coach of Miami, clearly has a lot of ties in South Florida. Lane Kiffin, obviously, at Florida Atlantic, been known to uh, recruit well down in South Florida. Mark Rick at Miami, you mentioned Charlie Strong at USF. And we all know what Jimbo Fisher at Florida State's done in recent years. So for the Gators, lock this state up as much as you can. Build those relationships early. And that helps with guys like Shannon and Corey Bell because they've known these coaches down in South Florida for years. Mm-hmm. So they have relationships. They have connections. A lot of these players now, they're chasing. I'm sure Randy and the, maybe Corey Bell recruited their dads or their uncles or their cousins. That's right. just the way it works. So that's that's a big part of what Florida has done. And, and then we'll see how it pays off, you know, come recruiting time. Well, a lot going on. Gentlemen, thank you very much as always. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Tim Walton has built a remarkable tradition for the softball program in over a decade at the helm, leading the Gators to seven College World Series appearances and back-to-back national titles in 2014 and 2015. But his squad will look a lot different this year as the senior class for the ages graduated and left a large void to be filled. We sat down with Coach Walton on the eve of their season opener and began by asking him how he continues to find ways to innovate while perched at the top of his profession. I think it's a constant struggle of of trying to find perfection and trying to find ways to maximize your talents, maximize your game prep, maximize your game strategy. I think that's what it goes into. So um, sustaining success is obviously a lot harder than, you know, achieving success. Sustain means you're, you know, you're consistently doing it year in and year out. 
And um, to me, the biggest key is trying to figure out a way to understand that every year, every team, every player is just a little bit different. And you're in a different space, you're in a different time, and you have to do everything in your power to try to um, get better. What was the last thing you saw from some other coach that really jumped out to you? Oh, gosh. You know, the thing that stands out to me probably the most was watching Nick Saban last year after winning a national championship and sitting on stage with the television folks. I believe it was the SEC Network or SEC Now to see him on stage after winning a national championship. That was an interesting part for me to watch somebody of that magnitude and of that success level to be able to share his, you know, basically his thoughts on his players and his thoughts on of the championship and his thoughts on preparation of the championship. It painted a totally different picture of Nick Saban to me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's at the top of his game in winning football games and building championship type teams, but also building championship type people to move on to the next level to try to achieve, you know, NFL success and long, hopefully long life success. I was very um, inspired by that, and I've never been inspired by him before. I just don't know him at all, and that allowed me the opportunity to sit in my living room and get to know somebody of that level after they won a national championship. I thought that was probably one of the coolest things that we've ever seen on television because it was Nick Saban. They just won a championship, and he painted a picture of success different than he's ever painted before, and I think than any coach has ever painted before. That's really cool. If we can talk about this year's team, what about this year's team excites you? Because there's always expectations for Florida softball, but what are your expectations for this particular group? Um, I think that you know the expectations of a program at, itself is really out of respect and the respect for not only all the players that we have on this team, but all the players that we've had in this program and the coaches, obviously. But you know we're the Florida Gators, and uh, you know we're going to get everybody's best shot. And I'm excited about our players giving their best shot and they don't have a lot of long-standing history to really prove what they're going to do. And we got a lot of new faces and a lot of new people. And some have been in our program for a couple of years. They're going to have an opportunity to really step up and achieve a greater role. And I think that's cool. You know, I think that's a – I'm really excited and looking forward to – um, you know, again, our pitching staff is dynamic. It is so deep and so polished and, and really so different from one to all the way to two, three, and four different type of pitchers. But I'm, I'm really excited about a lot of our players having an opportunity to really have their own moments and continue to get better and to continue to compete. Um, and for some of them, they're going to be doing things for the first time in their career, and I'm excited about that. You mentioned some of the weight that maybe last year's team had on their shoulders, trying to win a third straight national championship, being number one, going to the tournament number one, and then it, it all ended so suddenly for so many people. When you reflect back on that, is it still hard to think about the way that ended for such a special group, or, or do you put that in the past and, and move on from it? Yeah, I think you know when you look at that uh, level of success that our team had, you know, for that, you know, that four-year span, you know, three SEC championships, two national championships. Look at last year. We won back-to-back national championships. You got five seniors. You come in. You're preseason number one. 
We were number one for the majority of the season last year with the exception of that last week of the college series run. Mm. And I think our team handled that very, very well. I think our, was our 56-7 and seven might have been the record. Lost the last two games of our season, but really only had five losses even going into postseason. What a tremendous accomplishment for that group. And got the chance to enjoy a lot of different special runs. Gorley being you know an All-American for the first time and... Uh, Alicia Ocasio being, you know, an All-American again and having some good offensive moments last year. Um, Amanda Lorenz, freshman Amanda Lorenz comes in, All-American. Kaylee Kavistad had, I don't know what she hit, almost uh, 140, 50 points higher than she hit her freshman year and, you know, had a really good, strong sophomore campaign and some big hits and some big moments. So there was a lot of cool things that you can take from that. But I think the one big lesson that I've been preaching for a long time is no matter how good you are, no matter where you're at, this opportunity of playing the game can be taken away from you just mm-hmm. like that. And you better take full advantage of every single day that you have on the softball field because it can be over just like that. For us, it was five seniors who exited their career on really on one pitch. But, you know, to me, it's that's what life's all about. You know, you just got to go in there and you got to you know, take life by the horns and you got to really just do a good job of enjoying every moment you have, not only with your teammates, with your fans, with your family, with your coaches and enjoy that. But this year's team, we haven't talked about that. We haven't prepared any different. We haven't trained any different. We haven't done anything different. We've maybe tweaked some things um, to account for playing on a Thursday versus playing on a Saturday mm-hmm. or playing on a Monday versus playing on a Tuesday or Wednesday, because Part of what you can do here is you can get yourself stuck in some kind of a routine and then there's a rain delay and then there's a game called and then you have to play a a, a regional game on a Thursday night or play a super regional game on a Thursday night or there's so many excuses that you can make about what changes or what changed and I think you just want to try to prepare your your athletes for the moments when when adversity strikes and how are you going to respond. You had that class last year, which set so many records, set an unbelievably high bar. And then I think back to your class of 2011, which was almost the first class that set that really, really high standard going to the College World Series all four years. Now that you're past that class, how much of an onus is there to replace that? And how much does that push you and drive you now trying to figure out, well, how do I plug in all of these holes and still be at a high level? Yeah, I mean, you, you really, the landscape of recruiting is so different um, really every single year and for every single class. If you could go back and, and start recruiting now for the class of 2012 and trying to figure that replacement, you know, maybe you go out and get an exact replica of Aubrey Monroe. Maybe you go out and get an exact replica of Taylor Schwartz. Maybe you go out and get an exact replica of Kirsty Merritt or Taylor Fuller or Kelsey Stewart. Uh, Kelsey Stewart's obviously the easiest one to say, hey, let's get a replica of Kelsey Stewart. Let's get one of those every year. Seven times, you know, (laughs) but you go with what you have and then you go with what you don't have and then you go with what you don't have again and Mm -hmm. what you have. So you just, you keep going back and forth, trying to figure out the places and the pieces that you want. Losing the national championship in 2009, losing a national championship in 2011, I figured we had to do things just a little bit different. Uh, I'd say this team's probably a little closer to what the 2009-2011 type teams look like um, to a certain degree, not the 2014 or the 2015 team. Uh, We may be pretty good defensively, but maybe not quite as good as we were in 2014, 15, and 16. But I think that probably has a little bit more to do with the fact that maybe we had some deficiencies on the front end of that. Maybe we we wanted a little bit more physical offensive type catcher. Maybe mm-hmm. you wanted somebody a little bit different here. And but if I could go back and do it now, I'd say, yeah, let's get me an Aubrey Monroe, a Taylor <laughs> Schwartz, a Taylor Fuller, a Kirsty Merritt, a Kelsey Stewart. And um, but you know we're back to the one constant that we've we really found that we like to have is pitching. 
And um, I think we have a lot of pitching, and I think we have a lot of quality pitching, and I think that's one of the biggest changes that we've made in not only our evaluation but our development. People across the country are recognizing that we, we do a great job developing our pitchers. We do a good job taking care of our pitchers. We do a good job preparing our pitchers. I think that goes from our strength coach to obviously Jennifer Rocha to myself to our training staff. We try to really take care of those players to help them continue to, to grow in this program and not just come in here and have one good year. It's hard to have three pitchers at an all-SEC level and then return the next year with that same exact staff. So what lessons did you and especially Coach Rocha learn last year about using those three pitchers and the best way to get them the most work to stay consistent and just keep everybody churning along at, at such a high level? You know, I think we've now done that since we've had Delaney, you know, and, and we've always had two quality pitchers and adding Delaney to the third. So, you know, I think the last three years, I think my pitching staff has had identical numbers, innings mm-hmm. almost separated by one win here or there. ERAs have all been pretty close, you know, for the first, you know, first four or five weeks of the season until we, you know, open up SEC play. So we feel like we try to, you know, keep them fresh. And I think that freshness does allow us to be better towards the end. Um, but now adding a fourth and, and Katie Cronister, you can see things a little bit different. I see myself using her a little bit more like a, a middle reliever type, like in baseball, where I can bring her in and face some left-handers. You know, maybe we got some need a, need a ground ball double play or need to do some things. She, she's going to be able to induce some things more than likely out of pen. We'll start her a little bit, but, you know, like I said before, I think she's going she's gonna to provide us a lot of different opportunities. As far as other newcomers, which ones should fans expect to see the most of? Who are you expecting the most out of in terms of filling up some key spots? Yeah, right now we're going to utilize uh, Katie Cronister more, like I said before, more probably situational pitching, and then she'll pitch run uh, for us this year. She's athletic. She can do a lot of things. Um, then we'll look at uh, Jackie Switzer. Uh, she'll probably more impact us a little bit more pinch running. She's going to hopefully get in every single game. She's the fastest softball player we've ever had in this uniform. Really? Uh, that, by far. It's, wow. it's, she's super, super it's fast. But you know, she still has a lot long way to go development-wise. We've got to get her you know, to where she can play defense and do all the other things that go in there in offense. She's got a ton of power, super fast twitch, uh, being a track kid in high school. Um, but, again, still got to hone in on some of the softball skills. But she's really fast. Uh, like I said, I hope I get a chance to pinch run her every single game, and, and maybe she'll get some at-bats along the way. Um, looking at uh, Jamie Hoover and Jordan Roberts will probably play the most impactful role as freshmen offensively, defensively. Jordan's going to catch and, and bat and probably DP a little bit. Uh, Jamie will play third and obviously bat and then uh, maybe even DP a little bit depending on the rotations of when Alicia Casio pitches and some other things. In terms of returners, which ones have you seen the most growth from year to year? Well, I think Justine McLean has shown me the most growth from beginning to end. Um, coming in as a freshman, um, maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet. Uh, now she's, you know, she's stronger. She's more physical. She's more mentally mature. She's more physically mature. She's, uh, really stepped in this year and, and filled a leadership role for us that she didn't have in her younger years. And now she's more mature. She seems to be providing me a lot of consistency, uh, good leadership skills, a very good mentor, a very good friend, uh, a very good teammate. And so she's a, she's a named captain for us this year, which is which is going to be a, hopefully a, a good thing for her because I've seen the confidence in her grow, and she's really been, like I said, been a mentor and been a good uh, been a good inspiration to a lot of people. So I'd, I'd say her, Delaney Gorley, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say that she's grown the most because she's come in and played such an important role for us freshman, sophomore, junior year. 
I think if you asked her or you know maybe even people that knew her, maybe her role wasn't as great as a role of what she anticipated being in college. Mm-hmm. But who knew that Hannah Rogers was going to grow up to be that senior pitcher? Who knew that Lauren Hager was going to grow up to be that senior pitcher? And sure. and who knew that Alicia Ocasio was going to have the consistency and, and, and be that? So I think she's played a wonderful role not even a complimentary role, but just played a wonderful role to be not only a good teammate, to be a good friend, to be a good mentor. She's really helped our pitching staff grow with the off-speed pitch and what she can do with that and, and her willingness to share with the other pitchers how to throw pitches and how to do things with pitches. I would say the two of them probably have shown me by far the most growth over a four-year span of, of, of most players that I've coached. Um, they're, they're fun to be around, and they just do it right, and I really have a lot of respect for the way they play the game. People still love power around here. As much as they love pitching, they love power. So what can you tell us about Amanda Lorenz and Kaylee Kavistad in terms of their development and ability to drive the ball pretty much all over the place? Yeah, I think that's something that we're trying to, you know, that's one thing we were lacking maybe a little bit last year was the loss of Lauren Hager probably hurt us more on the offensive side than it did mm-hmm. the defensive side just because her ability to hit so many home runs and drive in so many runs. Kaylee Kavist had a wonderful year last year. Amanda Lawrence had a wonderful year last year. But our home run numbers were down, and we knew they were going to be. I mean, that's I won't mm-hmm. lie to you. We didn't, it wasn't a surprise. And so when you lose Bailey Castro and Lauren, you know, Lauren Hager and you know, even, even Brianna Little had you know, a ton of power, we, we knew where we were going to be on the power side of things. So I think we've kind of changed our approach a little bit this year, given our personnel. And um, I think we have potential to hit more home runs, whether it's Janelle Wheaton, whether it's Chelsea Herndon, whether it's Alicia Ocasio, uh, Amanda Lorenz, or, you know, even even Kaylee Kavistad. This is the first year softball has sold tickets, and it's been part of a gradual build for this program year after year. What's the significance of that, about having people pay to come see the Gators play? Well, I think the significance goes at its value. Now you've perceived as a value, and of value, I should say. And uh, I think it's... When people are willing to spend their money to come watch you play softball, I think it's a big deal. Um, you know, you buy season tickets, you, you, you invest, whatever the investment is, $1, $2, $3, $5, I don't care what the number is. When you invest in somebody, you become invested. And, you know, instead of saying, hey, you know, maybe I'll go watch the softball game today. It's like, hey, we got softball tickets. We're going. We're doing this. Maybe they'll give tickets to their friends. Maybe they'll buy. You know, there's just a lot of value that goes into that. I told my team in 2005 when I got the job here that this isn't just about winning softball games, although that seems to be the trend around here as the Florida (laughs) Gators. You need to win softball games. This is about creating entertainment value. If you're not fun to watch, there's nobody going to come watch you. And um, I think that's the biggest key for me. You know, whether you have a great defense, whether you have a great offense, whether you have a great pitching, whether you win, if you're fun to watch, people are going to be willing to, to come see you. We saw that in all the paid postseason, you know, tons of people that are willing to, to spend that money for NCAA play. Now they're willing to pay for us to play all year long. And I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited about that. It, it is exactly what I said to my team in 2005 is you need to be fun to watch. So people will come watch you play. And here they are, and they come every single year. And I'm very happy for them, very happy for, for our fans to not have to you know, sit outside and wait to try to get some of the best seats. They've got their own. They pay ahead of time. It's, it's a good deal. Consistent with that, you've also talked about making this an even tougher place to play and wanting everybody to be involved in that. So in what ways 
do you envision that happening? How do you think that you guys can accomplish that? You know, that's a, it's a work in progress. It's like anything, you know, in recruiting, you want to sell your recruits on this atmosphere. You're telling them, hey, this is one of the best atmospheres to play in the country. Whether we have 100 people or we have 100,000 people, this is going to be a great atmosphere. The people are going to come watch you play. I, I, not only do I want this to be the best atmosphere in college softball, I want to do it the right way. I want it to be, hey, if an umpire makes a bad call, great, let him have it. But <laughs> – at the end of the day, it's not about the umpires. It's not about the opponents. Let's cheer for the Gators. Let's get us fired up. Let's strike people out. Let's pop people up. Let's hit them into double plays. Mm-hmm. Let's score runs, hit home runs, and create an outstanding environment, both marketing with music, people in the stands, throwing out T-shirts, doing all the things that we need to do. This thing needs to be spot on. You know, as, as much as we need to be spot on playing good defense and throwing strikes and striking people out, I want to get our fans in tune. And again, I don't care if you're four years old, if you're 40 years old, if you're 50, I don't care what your age is. I want this to be a known thing that we get three balls on a batter when we're batting, you know, we're standing up clapping because it's getting ready to be ball four or we're getting ready to hit a jack over the Mm -hmm. fence. If you get two strikes, you're going to stand up. You're going to wave your towels. You're going to circle your towels up. We're getting ready to strike somebody out and get excited. And I don't think that that's too much to ask. Why are we standing up? Well, because we're getting ready to strike somebody out. (laughs) You should know that already. (laughs) Why are we standing up? Because we're getting ready to hit a jack, you know, get everybody fired up. And, you know, I tell my players the same thing. It's, it's, you know, they all want walk-up songs, and they all, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's just the trend of what you do. But if people don't want to hear your walk-up song, they're not going to get excited about having <laughs> you come up to bat. You know, that's, that's the truth. Hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you tell me right now, when Kelsey, when Let Me Clear My Throat comes on, and you're walking in the stadium, what are you going to do? You're going to start jogging to your seat you know because what's about here to happen. comes Kelsey Stewart. Right. And, you know, Kelsey Stewart, before Kelsey Stewart's name, she, she was just another kid with just another walk-up song. And then, boom, this catchy walk-up song comes on, and then here comes Kelsey Stewart, and she backs it up with, I just say, legitness. <laughs> she was so good and so fun to watch. You walk through the stadium, you know who's coming up. And that's what I want it to be like when you come into this, this atmosphere. It's a, it's a gladiator-type arena. Um, you get excited. You're waiting for the home run. You're waiting for the strikeout. You're waiting for a great play to be made. Hey, and if the opponents make a great play, you stand up and you give them a little clap and you move on because that's just how classy people do classy things. And I think that's what our fans really are. You know, we have a lot of good fans. Um, and I don't want one person to come into our stadium and ruin it for everybody and give us a bad reputation. And I think that's, that's the key element that I'm looking for. And it might not be today and it might not be tomorrow, but eventually this place is going to be rocking. And eventually in the very near future, you're going to have a much different looking stadium as well. One of the final things Jeremy Foley did before retiring, announcing that was an initiative they were going to really work on. What's your input been on that? Are there certain things you've said, this is what we need here and present a clear vision of what this should look like going forward? Yeah, they asked me to make a list, you know, make, make a list of all the things that you, you feel like you need to have a complete uh, facility, not only a, uh, and, and again, an internal list. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I have my, my thoughts on, you know, the stadium itself given you know the fans and 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 having some kind of a cover and the bathrooms and all that stuff obviously it, you know our operations staff and chip howard can get an architectural firm in here to design some of the things that they feel like they need from a fan perspective mm-hmm. from a you know from a, a game perspective game management perspective and all the other things and i was able to put together a list of all the things that we need from here and one of those is a visitor's locker room one of those is an umpire's locker room we need a better media area for you know for games and postseason and doing things um, so we put together a list and, you know, again, from there, we, we will just wait to see um, hopefully within the near future of what that, um, you know, that architectural design will look like. And I'm excited. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. again, it goes back to the season tickets. It goes back to winning championships. It's, 
I look out on the wall and I see all the success that we've had in this program and I don't want them to build a stadium and knock everything down and you start all over again. You just keep building and keep getting it better and, and better without changing the atmosphere, without changing, you know, the things that um, that we've been so good at. And, and, and I think that's what, you know, what Jeremy's vision was, you know, what Chip Howard's vision was and is. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Scott Strickland will have his twist and, and, and um, polls of what he wants to make this facility like, you know, because this is his athletic department now and this is his softball program now. And uh, I told him already, I'm excited for you to be able to add, subtract, multiply, divide, do whatever you need to do to make this one of the best softball stadiums and make this one of the best softball environments in the country. And, you know, then I'll try to do my part of bringing in quality kids and quality coaches to, to maintain that standard of excellence. Final thing for you, this is a long season and it's four months, sometimes longer when you get all the way through it. What are your expectations on day one, day two, what are you going to look for early on from your team? It's going to tell you, okay, we're, we're headed the right direction. I don't know that I have an expectation of what we need to look like on day one. You know, we, we're going to start probably a new – well, no, we're going to start a new third baseman, a new shortstop, a uh, new first baseman sometimes, a new catcher sometimes, a new center fielder most of the time, uh, a, a new right fielder potentially every time. So with that being said, there's, there is no expectation. There is, again, like I said it before – there is a standard that we've, we, we have here at the University of Florida, mm-hmm. and that is we're going to get better every single day. And um, I think I know where we're at. I think I know where we were, where we were and I think I know where we're headed. Um, but this is one of those things. That, and I said this yesterday in my, my media interview is that, you know, if you think Kelsey Stewart and, and Kirsty Merritt and Taylor Schwartz and Taylor Fuller um, and Aubrey Monroe are here, they're not. And if you're going to compare these kids to those kids, they're not uh, here either. And you've got to compare these kids to where they were in the fall, to where they're at now, to where they're going. Um, with the exception of really, you know, of, of Kelsey Stewart, none of those players were the players that they were at the end of their career that mm-hmm. they were at the beginning. They all had um, a, a process that they had to go with. And we're starting about as many young, new, unproven players as we did in 2013 uh, that eventually won the SEC, that eventually went to the College World Series. So we've got a long way to go. And, and I say we got miles to go. And I don't, I don't anticipate us being, being there on day one, day two, day three. But I do think that we have a team that, that, that loves playing the game of softball and that loves playing with each other. And we're just going to figure out how to handle. I'm, I'm just more concerned about adversity um, mm-hmm. because I think that's one of the things that we can't build in the fall. or in the, We can't build the adversity. As hard as we've worked in the 6 a.m. workouts, as hard as we've worked in the, in the weight room, uh, on the practice fields, running in the indoor we can't create the adversity that happens in a game, and, and, and that's part of the younger players making excuses. Well, you know, I'm only a freshman. You know, I, I've, I've said this a long time. I don't care if you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. You play, you come in there, and you, you, you deliver. And um, you just have to be able to have a short-term memory. Don't worry about your last at bat. Get ready to have this next one. And if we get confidence early, um, it could be a really fun, exciting uh, brand of softball that's going to be different than we played last year. Well, Coach, thank you for the time, and good luck getting things started. Thanks, Adam. And that's going to do it for today's show. As always, we encourage you to subscribe to the official podcast of the Gators on the podcast app of your choice, and please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow. We also ask that you follow us on Twitter at Gators Podcast, like our new Facebook page, and email GatorsPodcast at gmail.com with any feedback or suggestions you have for the show. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. So until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Exact Tech Arena. Thank you.